This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and Most of Bliss. Welcome or welcome back to episode 17 of Beers with Talos. I am joined, as always, by Matthew Olney, Craig Williams, Nigel Houghton, and Joel Essler. Today, we are going to discuss which Spice Girl is each of our spirit animals, as well as poisoning the well and search engine results. We got troll farms, the peril of the patch, network segmentation, and more. So stick around. It's going to be a full episode. All right, so we usually go around the table and everybody has a something that they want to talk about and we try and keep this to a couple of minutes, but it typically I can already guarantee you that my round table piece will go more than 2 minutes. Uh I'm actually looking forward to yours today, Matt. I would like to add on to your round table and just participate in yours. All right, Craig, let's go ahead and start with you. You just got off a plane from uh, Mexico, I believe, right? Yeah, it was the first time I've done Cisco Live. Uh, I think this time it was Cancun. A uh, couple times they have it in different places, but I think we've done Cancun in the last few years. And man, it was interesting. I think they had over 5,000 people uh, at this one little resort called the Moon Palace. A pretty nice place. But, you know, there's got to be something said for trying to get on like an early morning flight. Like you don't really think it through, you know, when you're booking these flights, you're not like, Hmm, that hotel, man, the rooms are like 20 or 30 minutes walk from the entrance. And then that's, you know, good long ways from the airport. So you got to get up like three hours before your flight at a minimum. Uh, I think they actually suggested you need to get to the airport three hours early. And so like we're talking potentially getting up four hours early. And so if you have a 6am flight, that makes that idea even dumber. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm learning the hard lessons that come this, with travel. This but. only take you how many years to, to figure out? I was, God, I was thinking the same thing. I just didn't know if I should say it. <laughs> were we going to do, were we going to do one of these with Craig where he didn't bitch? <laughs> this isn't, no, yeah, no, we were going to do an opening of the podcast where he has to say something nice, right? I think hmm. that's what. Nigel, what's on your mind this morning? Absolutely nothing at all other than the world is burning down in operations land at the moment. When is it not, honestly? And I don't mean operations, I just mean when the world is burning down. You know, well, you know, I mean, it's been on fire for a while, I guess, but, um, you know. But we didn't start the fire. Dealing with some, no, we, and we certainly didn't start this fire, let me tell you what, but I'll tell you, I'm learning a couple of things about what a couple of people have done. And uh, let me tell you, uh, if I have to run a script, that um, basically cleans out memory so that you don't run out of it because your application has a leak somewhere. Uh, Oh, wow. I'm not, you know, I'm not super keen on that. I'm not going to think too highly of you. You know what I'm saying? Things must change. (sighs) All right. Joel, you, you you wanted to be skipped. So that you can piggyback on, on, on Matt's I just, topic. I'm excited about Matt's topic, honestly. I just can't wait. Okay. I, I did want to mention at the top that you, we are... You look really excited. I do. I'm pumped. Yeah, he sounds really excited. <laughs> there he goes. All right. That's like breakfast burritos excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did want to mention that next week uh, we, will, we will actually all be in the same place, which is a, a, a rarity. So I thought it'd be a good opportunity to to perhaps introduce a um, a, a Twitter contest for the Beers with Talos host Deadpool of who is not going to survive next week. 
I, I already know who's going to yeah, Craig's a dead man. To lose. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a, I, we all take money on Craig. So yeah, Craig is a dead man. Yeah. So should we have uh, everybody, everybody can text, uh, text. Everybody can tweet. Yeah, we're all text. Uh, hashtag, Greg. wait, wait, like BWT Deadpool. Button. Should we have that in there? BWT Deadpool. Let's give out, let's give out. Uh, Craig's telephone number and everybody can just text him. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. We also have 280 characters now, so we could be like hashtag Ooh. beers with Talos. That thing that Talos does, Deadpool, we'll see if Craig dies. And then you put in... <laughs> this is going to be super funny. And the hashtag, hashtag just keeps going. Yeah. Yep. Hashtag 280. Hashtag Craig. Hashtag. <laughs> I saw it'd be fun for, for our, our listeners to, to tweet us and, and let... Let us know who they feel is not going to survive the week uh, and why. However, the correct answer apparently I seems mean, to be it, Craig. I mean, if we go statistically speaking, it's obviously going to be you or Matt. I mean, come on. Well, I got home team advantage. You're in my house. What, statistically speaking, it's going yes. to be you because we're going to have robots. And <laughs> I'm just saying. You guys are what? You're both one for two? Well, yeah, that means we've already had our turn. So there's three more people who... <laughs> one for two what? <laughs> No, I, I think Matt. I think he's what he's referring to is the time that you tried to kick someone into a pool or something. You have like half the story right. Yeah, I yeah. But I will <laughs> like, say I that got did the kick hurt. part right. So that looked like it hurt. It looked like your foot just came off and like a sock of blood dangling on the end of your leg. It was disgusting. <laughs> That's some vivid imagery <laughs> you're rolling with today, Craig. <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty good. I liked it. But yet you still had less of a boot than when Craig kicked a robot. That's true. That's true. I think Craig just likes that boot. Let's be real. Yeah, to be fair, it is pretty cool. I mean, you know, hobbling around the airport in that boot that one leg is slightly longer than the other. That's just fantastic. I like that Craig has a robot at his house that's trying to kill him, and he's still less <laughs> safe when he comes here than he is at home. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> He has a robot that is demonstrated. It is actively trying to murder what, what and is drown the him. Robots name the house cleaner one and the Jetsons. Do you guys remember Rosie? Rosie. Rosie. Yeah, so that's what believe Craig it or not. needs. Craig needs a Rosie. To they actually made an him. IoT version where you could get in your little phone app and drive it around and chase people. <laughs> Nigel. Oh my god. Nigel, we have yes. one of those. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so Matt, you have a very special roundtable topic for us today. What, what did you mean be? to? I was going to have like a really normal ish. Mm-mm. Not really. Mm-mm. Topic. Because nope. I wanted to talk about KFC's Twitter account, which is incredible. <laughs> uh, so, that, that, oh, you're talking about the, the image, the, the portrait? Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about that real quick. Because I actually put it, I put the image into uh, Spark for those of you who haven't seen it. But if you go to the K- KFC Twitter account at KFC, um, only ele- they're only following 11 people. And they're, they're following Jerry Horner. Melanie Brown, Emma Bunton, Melanie C., and Victoria Beckham, or the five Spice Girls, and six rando dudes named Herb. Right. <laughs> so in total, they're following 11 herbs and spices. Right. <laughs> which is all by itself just amazing. And I was excited when I found this out. That's genius. It's so great. That is pretty genius. But so the way that we know about this, because no one who 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 cares who's who well, I thought KFC we talked about it last time, did we not? Well, I, no, we, we certainly didn't. talked about this in the past, but but there's been developments yes. in the uh, in the I, situation. Right. This is the exciting bit. 
So uh, the the reason people know about this is that Twitter user at Edget22 put out a tweet that said, KFC follows 11 people, Bias, Spice Girls, and Six Guys Named Herb. I need time to process this. And so that went viral. And that was great. This was like a, a week or two ago. And then today I see an article um, where KFC had tracked this dude down. And we would have, I mean, we... we the dude we, that got the joke. Yeah. The, dude, the, the dude that figured it out. And we've sent, like, we'll send occasionally stuff out uh, to people that interact with us on Twitter just to say hi and say thank you. But not at this level. This, Mitch, you need to, uh, to up your game. Because Wait, didn't this all end up being a PR stunt? It, Craig, your entire life is a PR stunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that Twitter user works for, he works for the PR company that represents Yum Brands. Wait, are you saying I need to up my game or something? Is that, is that what's going on? No, you don't need to. Mitch does. Yeah. <laughs> you need to up your management of Mitch. Yeah, no, I mean, I sent out some pint glasses last week. Yeah, yeah. Does that count? No, it turns, but, but did you send out a oil painting of the Twitter <laughs> user riding Colonel Sanders through the wilderness, holding a fried no, chicken. No, leg. I did not. And it is a, it is a absolutely beautiful image. Pointing but triumphantly me, into the distance. He's like, yeah. So could we, should we have like somebody like riding Craig? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, come on, you got to capture uh, yeah, more than robot. that. Look at the confidence and peaceful demeanor of Colonel Sanders, right? I mean, he it's just, it's, it's just, I don't know, man. It makes me feel like calm. Woodsy camping. It kind of looks like this is my life now. And look at the deer in the bottom right. Is, he, is that like a members only jacket that he's got on? <laughs> yeah, he has quite the tracksuit. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even notice he was actually wearing like a casual suit in that picture. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Mitch, you'll have to, Mitch, you'll have to put a link to this in, uh, in uh, the show notes. But that's what I was going to talk about. But unlike some, unlike one person on this podcast, I spend some time before the podcast prepping. And making sure I have notes and everything else so that the podcast has some direction. I spent the last hour talking to Sammy, a.k.a. the Blonde Hammer, starting about this KSC thing, but rapidly devolving into a conversation about the Spice Girls in general. And so I have a couple of pieces of information about the Spice Girls, but specifically Spice World the movie. And I also have a list of which Spice Girls Sammy thinks each of us are. <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to get good. So first, I mean, should we, should we, should we talk about which one of the Spice Girls I know? Yeah, no. one of them. Keep going. Even... <laughs> who, who do you know? So many, many years ago, when uh, I was playing in bands in Liverpool. One of the Spice Girls, before she was a Spice Girl, Jerry, also played in a band in Liverpool called Night Games, and she was one of the background backing singers for that particular band. Emma. So we used to bump into each other from time to time, and um, she then became Sporty Spice. Ah, oh, Melanie C. Uh-huh, that's right. But yeah, many, many, long time, many years ago, which my daughter actually found... Uh, when she found out, she thought that was, you know, just amazing. How cool is that? Didn't care about me playing the band, of course. It was just the fact that I'd been <laughs> yeah. to one of the Spice Girls before right. she was a Spice you. Girl. That's all, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So so let's let's have some fun with Craig first, and let's break Craig's heart. 
Okay. So, Craig, the Spice Girls starred in a movie called Spice World. And it cost $25 million to make Spice World. There's also a movie that we talked about last time called Hackers. That was not a hit movie. Well, was a cult classic. It was a cult classic. <laughs> and it cost about $20 million to make. So roughly the same budget. Hackers made $7.5 million after costing $20 million to make. Mm-hmm. Spice World made $101 million. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> But see, hackers wow. made it up in 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 in, uh, in video release in coldness, in the laughs. Well, that's funny because somebody on this podcast, somebody on this podcast, claims to have seen Spice World thirty six times. Wow, at least at least, at least. who? So Craig? You know, it's not me. I don't know that I'd seen thirty six <laughs> movies in my life. I don't think I knew the movie existed until just now. Certainly narrowing down the list of culprits. Yeah. This came out in 97. 97 was a little bit busy. I'll tell you that. Mitchell. Mitchell, Do you want to justify 36 viewings of Spice World? I mean, anybody who has kids knows that like your kids will glom on to, I said at least 36. Will glom on to one movie and just watch it repeatedly. Yes, I may or may not have seen The Little Mermaid uh, mm-hmm. a few million mm-hmm. times. Uh, yeah, I probably know every single word to the Frozen movie. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I think I've seen Cars no less than a hundred times. Fortunately, Spice World was probably in the thirties. I mean, wow. this was a it was it was a daily occurrence, but it didn't last long. Mm. Thank goodness. So let's see. So for for those of you who are actually not ancient. There are in this in this Spice Girls band. There were five Spice Girls. There's Ginger Spice, Scary Spice, Baby Spice, Sporty Spice, and Posh Spice. And so, in talking to Sammy, Sammy has labeled each of us with our own unique spice of those five. And so, does anybody want to take a crack at who she assigned to who? Well, I I've got I reckon she she called me Hot Spice. That's that not, not on the list. There's no hot spice. Damn it. <laughs> not on the list. Uh, I think Nigel awesome is scary spice, spice and Joel is baby spice. Interesting. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say Sammy wouldn't label me as baby spice. She knows better. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's not... Oh, wait, wait. Is Nigel posh spice? No. So here's what's here's the problem, and actually, Mitch, you should do better at this because the problem is, um, Sammy is Nigel scary spice. Sammy Nigel sporty spice. Sammy set out the reason for each of them based on their personalities, and I have no idea what their personalities are. I was gonna say, why does Sammy know? I'm com- wait. she loves this movie, wait. dude. So oh, really? Rotten Tomatoes, oh, no. Rotten oh, Tomatoes gave this thing a thirty five percent. And Sammy just Classic masterpiece. opened the conversation with Spice World is so effing amazing. And I was like, okay. Oh, boy. Wow. wow. What did Spice, wait, so what I think did Rotten Tomatoes just, give hackers? Do, do we? 13, I think, or something like that. Wow. It was pretty low. that? Wow. Hackers. So, well, I guess let's have the list, Matt. I mean, I don't know if, unless anybody wants to take a crack. Anybody else want to guess? All right, so here we go. So when we get distracted by the hackers question, I'll let, I'll let Joel work on that. All right, so here's, it is, it is um, it's, a little, uh, it's a little odd. She had Nigel as Ginger Spice, 
Because ginger spice is sassy. Sassy. And sassy. Okay. And she had Craig is scary spice because Craig is unpredictable. <laughs> In her view. Okay. I feel like Craig okay. is sure. pretty predictable. Um, <laughs> she has Mitch's baby yes. spice and the note for next to it is just obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, look, here, wait, hold on. Let's read the description. A uh, baby spice because she was the youngest member of the group wore her blonde hair and pigtails wore pastel baby doll dresses and platform sneakers had an innocent smile and had a girly girl personality. What do you guys think? So Joel was sporty spice because he had too much energy. And That's I was paw spice because I apparently <laughs> put up with no shit. Oh, okay. Huh. So she was, she do was, you have a love of high heeled footwear? You know what? Wait, I don't think it's wrong. Wait, where are you reading <laughs> you like these descriptions, with David Beckham? Craig? <laughs> Wikipedia has a little summary of each one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, here it is. I got it. I found it, yeah. So what, what's the uh, Wikipedia entry for uh, Posh Spice, Craig? Uh, her middle, middle class background, her choppy brunette bob cut, refined attitude, signature pout, form-fitting designer outfits, and her love of high-heeled footwear. I could pull off and, a bob and cut. also... She, she loves dreamy football players. She does. I mean, is he really dreamy? So it's, you know, uh, it says pretty much every Wait, woman in the UK, yes. So which one was I again? Sporty? You were sporty because you have too much energy. Uh, usually wore a track suit, pair, track suit pair with athletic shoes, wore long dark hair and a high ponytail, and sported a tough girl attitude as well as tattoos on both You have arms. a tough girl that's, attitude. That's I can see a tough girl yeah. attitude. That is that definitely works. you. Yeah. Oh, so listen to this. Maybe she's not too far abilities. off. So scary spice, the one I'm supposed to be. In your face attitude, loud leads accent, throaty laugh, pierced tongue, bold manner of dress, which often often consisted of leopard print outfits and voluminous curly afro hair. So what you're saying is next week when oh. we're together doing all of <laughs> yeah, our work, you need to have a leopard print outfit, sir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like, I think brown cargoes on stage presenting counts as about the same kind of bold fashion sense, doesn't it? <laughs> fashion sense. I'm on stage presenting in Birkenstocks. So, so just to, just to kind of wrap this up and let, let the listeners know what it's like to have a conversation with Sammy. I have in my notes from the conversation, it just says random quote from conversation. And what Sammy said was she had a sweet potato in her pants and I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's it. All right. So we do want to talk a little bit about some of the things um, that we've had going on and been in the news that Talos has done uh, this week. I just think I just saw an article on another news article about our last blog post coming up. Uh, We did a piece on poisoning the well. Banking Trojans are targeting search results and having some unexpected success. Craig, do you want to uh, take lead on that and and talk about the, the blog post there? Yeah, we can talk about it at a high level. I mean, what I think was fascinating about this is that it's yet another way to get people to click on things, right? I mean, if you look at the different types of attacks, right, like with an exploit kit landing page, right, that's you look at a website, automatically owned, right? And if you take, uh, say, a Word document, for example, somehow you've got to get somebody to click on that. And that's really the problem that these guys had. And so there's a couple ways you can get around that, right? You could email people, you could you know, send links out over social media. Uh, you could try and use like a Trojan attack, uh, you know, lots of different choices, but none super effective. This is a new idea, basically taking advantage of what, uh, 
what Edmund called the SERP page, the search engine results page. And basically you play with your, uh, ser- your search engine optimization to get your sites to the top. Now, Mitch, do you want to explain how that works? You are in marketing. Sure. I mean, and, and one of the things, and actually it's one of the key questions I had about this is like looking at what kind of exploits are delivering to make this financially make sense. Cause obviously, uh, you know, most people are familiar with how Google AdWords or, or other search engines work. Um, you know, you'll bid on a keyword that you want to appear high up in the list for. Uh, and that's how you get those, those top, top results. Holy shit, guys, he knows stuff that are, <laughs> that's how you get those top, top results or those, those results in the sidebar that are sponsored links. You bid, you bid for those. Um, now the, the other results in the, the main section of the site there, you know, usually referred to as organic results or whatever. And that's because people have taken the time to optimize a specific page with the right header tags, the right alt text on images and have plenty of content in there that, you know, doesn't run afoul of Google's rules, but really lets them know this is the authentic page for this topic. And this is, you know, with some type of authority. This is what this page is about. Article titles, page titles, uh, those kind of things count for a lot. Um, but this costs money usually. Like people like aren't going to spend a lot of time optimizing against a, a big bank. I mean, if it's a, a major bank in another country, they're going to do a really, really good job of optimizing their own search results. So it takes a considerable amount of effort or a considerable budget to overcome that. And to you know how to out Bank of America, Bank of America is going to be you know, just an example. I'm not saying that they were hit by this attack or all or they were targeted. But that's going to cost considerable resources. And it makes me kind of wonder what they're actually delivering to make it work, worth it to them. I'm sorry. I, I fell asleep there, Mitchell. It was what just, was that? Just some marketing jibber-jabber. I was about to compliment Mitch, actually. That was very well explained. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was really interesting about this, I mean, you know, obviously this campaign is interesting, but it's the technique that I thought was interesting, right? This same technique could be applied to, you know, every other type of web-based attack and even file-based attacks, right? In this particular case, they were using the websites to redirect people to malicious documents. Um, you could do that with all kinds of different stuff using this technique. So that's what really jumped out with me about it. Plus the fact that it was basically distributing banking Trojans, which may help offset the cost of getting that SEO ranking up there, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know the, uh, the profit margins for banking Trojans, but I would think they'd be pretty high. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're still aiming at the the lowest hanging fruit, aren't you? No right. matter what with this, but yeah, I mean it's another way of getting to it, right? As as as, as the um, people get used to other things and and become aware of other things, this is not something that would they would um, immediately notice. So, is it was it SEO? That really got these to the top, or was it the site that was compromised? I guess, well, I was thinking, like, the reason why I kind of asked that question is because it doesn't seem like, like Mitch said, it's an incredible amount of work to get your site, generally speaking, to the top of a search result for a particular... I mean, you've you've done that for our sites before, right? So you have pretty good grasp. We we do this constantly. But what I'm saying is, is, is it it is an incredible amount of work. But my, my point is, is that it doesn't seem like they did a lot to get a payoff here, right? They didn't use an exploit kit to kind of, to, to get as many victims as they could. They didn't, you know, it almost seems, I would say it's almost targeted, meaning like, you're looking for people specifically going after that search phrase. 
Yeah, like, like look how specific some of these are. Um, and you're the type of people that would specifically search that, right? Right. I mean, that the the particular phrase that we're looking at it. Yeah. For those of you who haven't read the blog post, to give you an example of one of the phrases that Joel is talking about, uh, one of the ones that stands out to me is bank guarantee format MT760. That's pretty That's specific. Super specific. That's, yeah. Well, and that's a way of offsetting some of the effort in terms of monetary cost or in optimization costs. You use longer tail keywords. If you're using like the single like online banking, there's a bajillion and one people who are trying to rank for online banking. But for format 60, what the hell ever, you know, that's going to be a lot easier to jump to the top. So, yeah, I guess in that sense, it would be really targeted toward people making super specific searches. Yeah, apparently the MT760 is a standby letter of credit and bank guarantee. Uh, it's a payment generally issued by a bank, the issuing bank on behalf of the client, the applicant to secure payment for a third party. So yeah, they're definitely targeting. Well, that makes sense. Bankers. They're expecting a download when they clicked on that to download a form maybe yep. or something. Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what they're doing is they're taking advantage of people who work in banks or are Googling these documents instead of using their internal file store. Yeah, and that's hmm. what I'm saying. Hmm. Like, it, it seems like they did an awful lot of work for not much payoff. And that's why I say... You know, was this targeted? Was it specifically looking at for somebody? But I don't know. It's just, um, you know, it doesn't seem like pumping people to a Word document is a gigantic payoff because then you have to introduce that extra step of, you know, do they have a vulnerable version of Word? Do they right. have Word installed in the first place? Do they know how to enable content? Like kind of thing. Oh, I use Open Office. <laughs> you hippie. <laughs> you brought it back. I like, okay. You well, it back. I think you can be pretty much you know that somebody who works in a bank is probably going to be using a Windows system. They probably already have Word installed, et cetera, and to read these documents, right? Like any other place like that would. So I bet banks use a lot of macros. Oh, yep. I'm sure they absolutely do. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look over these terms, there are very specific banks named, so absolutely targeted. Mm-hmm. I hear that, um, I hear that, you know, Microsoft tried to do away with uh, macros in Microsoft a, a while ago didn't turn out too well i don't know like at on on their internal network yeah well it didn't go down well hey guys are we supposed to turn on recording at some point no okay. not not Good. you craig <laughs> you ever seen you ever seen that garfield strip where they remove garfield from the strip like it's just john talking to himself like, what if we did that for the podcast and just didn't have Craig in the pot in the audio? We're all just talking to Craig and about Craig, but he's not actually here. <laughs> hey, that's what we almost ended up with this time, man. Is that right? Somehow he's I'm like shadow fly. band. He's like on the WebEx <laughs> talking. <to himself. laughs> Sorry, we've derailed. Okay. So I wanted to, I, I did want to bring up, there's obviously been uh, just a, a ton of news lately about uh, what people are calling troll farms. People who are uh, basically we've been dealing with this for, you know, since the beginning of the internet, this is a, just a smart, your dog is killing me, Nigel. For anybody who is, is hearing that noise, that is Nigel's Mastiff. Is he okay? Away. Does he, does he, he, he need to see that for sure? <laughs> no, he's, that's just how Mastiff uh, sound. Yeah, he's currently, um, well, we call it chasing rabbits, right? So he's dreaming. Oh, your do- yours does running. that too? Yeah. Do they do that with the feet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, chasing rabbits. 
Yeah. What else are they going to do? Do act like they're typing on computers? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you have a CPAP that could fit a Mastiff, uh, let us know. Yeah. A Mastiff, a, a CPAP. Exactly. Not bad, Mitch. CPAP machine. Not bad. So Troll Farms, buddy. Tell me about Troll Farms. Troll Farms. Yes. We want to talk about Troll So it's obviously been all over the news. And um, the, the one thing I really noticed about this is everybody is referring to these constantly as troll farms. And that kind of, I, I think that the, just the name of it alone is what sticks out and bothers me when like, this is basically groups that are running some type of an Intel or like PSYOP or, you know, counter Intel operation. It's organized. We've been dealing with this since the beginning of the internet. I mean, we just used to call it brigading. And, and now they're apparently they're organized and, and called troll farms. And but the I think the disturbing thing that the big difference between what we used to know back in the day is brigading and what we're seeing now in terms of like more organized activity is just the, the shift that's taken place in the meantime that has allowed massive amounts of data collection um, that's allowed them to create like different types of targeting that are now available to, to groups that are practicing us to be even more effective at what they're doing. So why don't you, why don't you, why don't you define some words for us, Mitch? Like, so what are you saying brigading is? So the earliest, especially in this sense, if you're, if you're talking about, you know, organized efforts were um, traced all the way back to the early 2000s. Anytime that there was a, you know, web brigades or, or groups that will intentionally organize and for lack of a better term, infiltrate a given community to change the flow of information or change the narrative that is going on there. You'll see this a lot on Reddit. You'll see like a group from one subreddit brigading and like coming into another subreddit to, you know, kind of like shout down somebody with a different opinion or that feels a different way. Is that, is that a little more clear? Just to get off the, the mentioning Reddit 400 times thread. I mean, this is similar to, you know, how people take advantage of comment forums, right. On our blog and others to try and post spam and whatnot or change the narrative. Um, you know, it's very common for people to try and spin something. You know, what I've seen most on our blog is people attempt to kind of piggyback off our idea and make a thoughtful comment that seems uh, in line with the story and then twist it in a way that's very controversial and throw in a link to their own site, right? To try and get kind of like a, a bunch of people to spin off and chat about it and go visit their site as well. Does it work? No, I delete it. <laughs> Supreme authority. The only thing that guarantees somebody will read your link more than agreeing with you is making them angry. Well, I think that's part of the strategy for some of this, right? You act irate, you act very upset, you try to get an emotional response out of people, and then you throw whatever you want them to do at the end, right? And that way, if people are responding emotionally, they're not thinking about the fact that, hey, maybe this person is taking advantage of me being so emotional, right? It's like fake news. Fake news challenge. Champions. Did we win? Do we have an, another round of that yet? No, we won. The end. Um, yeah, I don't think there's been one yet. Craig just mic dropped yeah, that Craig, shit. Craig wasn't even involved <laughs> and you mic dropped it. All right. I mean, the whole the whole point around that was, was the guys doing the fake news challenge because the algorithms are kind of similar to finding uh, spam and stuff like right. that. And, right. You know, they could apply mm -hmm. those things and learn a few different things that's why they did it you know whether you're talking about you know troll farms or perpetuating fake news we've come so far technologically that we now have the ability to really get a, a, a feeling for people's preferences 
No, I mean, I, I understand this is one of those little buzzwords like fake news challenge. I mean, the reality is this doesn't have a ton to do with computer security, right? It's a way to manipulate people, which is more or less mm -hmm. social, right? Not security. Uh, now, what, what you can well, use... I, I would see, I would argue, Craig, that that's all part of it too. The social aspect of it is just as useful um, as one of the tools in your, in your armory as any other exploit that you might have, right? Yeah, but I would argue it's unnecessary, unnecessarily complex, right? If you want somebody to install malware on their system, there's a thousand uh -huh. easier ways to do it. This is used for something where you need them to take an action, right? I think what this is more for is if you need people to all decide, yeah, screw Bitcoin, let's get everybody install miners for my new, you know, master coin and things like that, right? Where you actually can try and manipulate large amounts of people to all collaborate and do something for you. That's, I think, where this is, right? This isn't necessarily something that you'd see used in malware. And totally not related. When's the launch of CrogCoin? I don't believe in cryptocurrency. <laughs> don't tell Warren, though. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Yeah. Investment advice from Krog. You know, this, this obviously has been enabled. Uh, it's not just something that, I mean, Mitch used an example of, you know, people from Reddit and like 4chan where Mitch hangs out to, to go from one, you know, subreddit to another subreddit and kind of shout people down. Right. That's, that's the, uh, I was going to say the teenage way of doing it, but that's not really the phrase I'm looking for. I would say it's, it's the, Less sophisticated. Yeah, less sophisticated. I mean, we saw this employed in droves against, uh, you know, on Twitter and on Facebook through ads this voting season. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Twitter and Facebook are coming under a lot of heat by, can, by the, uh, you know, the con by Congress and, and by the, the congressional leaders about what they can do to prevent this and that kind of thing. And it's been a very hot topic. All right. So, Matt, let's talk about the uh, about the perils of the patch. So I spent I spent the last couple of weeks um, working on a a blog post or a paper. We're not sure how we're going to publish it yet on um, how the kind of people that are on this podcast think about patching, and it all stems from a lot of the backlash um, against uh, the federal government, the U.S. government um, regarding the Eternal Blue and Eternal Romance capabilities that have been worked into WannaCry and not Petya and Bad Rabbit and some other uh, lesser known pieces of malware. Um, and we're going to make some assumptions for this, for this conversation to work. Um, the, the, there's no solid understanding of the truth, but it's, it's, it's well understood that, that the NSA was behind some of the software that was dropped by shadow brokers. And in this case, eternal blue and eternal romance were part of that drop package in April. And, what you'll see is you'll see articles like uh, NSA malware used as part of WannaCry or NSA malware used as not bad yet. And you should, they should have patched and they should have, they should have disclosed and, and then everything would have been okay. There's kind of this, this statement that had the NSA um, simply disclosed the vulnerability instead of working it to an exploit, then everything would have been okay. And what I think probably the security people on this podcast can probably agree on is regardless of whether or not that vulnerability was worked beforehand, MS 17010 was always going to be exploited. As soon as that patch was released, right. There would be a feeding frenzy, uh, to develop an exploit for it. 
and roughly yep. everything that we had seen would have been in play. And it's always kind of tricky to go back in time yep. and, and reset things. Uh, but um, that same set of vulnerabilities would have been out there. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was just talking about this at Cisco Live. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever looked at, I don't know if you've seen our slide, but if you look at what we call the low-hanging fruit CVEs, so uh, networkly accessible, remote code execution, no authentication. So in other words, things that would be perfect for worms. Networkly uh, accessible? Networkly. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even drinking beer. I'm moving water. I'm dehydrated from the plane. Uh, <laughs> but those vulnerabilities, that class of vulnerabilities, the ones that the bad guys really like, uh, they've been decreasing every year for the last like 10 years. Uh, and so, you know, like you said, it, it results in that feeding frenzy concept because there's just not a lot. Yeah. Of and, and I would I don't think that low hanging fruit is necessarily the right word for it, because Eternal Blue, for example, um, to get code execution strung together, three different vulnerabilities to to make that pay off. And a lot of the discussions I, I've spent a lot of time kind of reaching out into industry partners and talking to different um, specialists in exploit development um, about how long it would take to go from patch to um, exploit if you you know if you didn't have uh, the eternal blue exploit and what would have happened and there are pieces of that that are very hard to do uh, these this is no simple buffer overflow um, you kind of have to have a pretty good in-depth knowledge per version of Windows kernel land but uh, it's certainly not a not a easy thing to do but it is definitely something that would gain a great deal of interest. And if you go back to March of 2017, um, when this was released, um, and you look at kind of Twitter behavior immediately after that release, you immediately see people posting pictures of MS-1710, the bin diff from them, starting the process that, that it takes to compare the pre and post patch, determine what's being checked and starting the process to get, to get exploitation. And, um, Talk to a bunch of different folks. Um, one of the most interesting things that, that I think uh, a lot of listeners won't, won't necessarily immediately appreciate is that Talos has the capability to do this sort of work on staff. Um, there's a, it's kind of a thin line between Vuln Dev and Exploit Dev. It's the same set of characteristics. There's a lot of architecture that you have to maintain, um, some OS-specific understanding and, and widget tracking that you have to maintain for exploit development. But I actually talked to uh, a couple of guys on our Vuln Dev team, and they estimated for them because they don't track these these kind of internal OS pieces and bugs that they would need to get execution. It would have taken about three months to kind of spin up to that exploitation phase. Um, but we actually reached out to some people who are professional exploit developers, and the estimates range from one to three weeks uh, to go from patch to uh, exploit on that same level. So. It's a mistake thought process wise to think that patching fixes things. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot of kind of different nuances to the patching process that, that people don't think about when they're like, Oh, well, we'll just disclose it and then it'll be patched and everything will be okay. Because I would, you know, the most obvious piece is want to cry. Netia, bad rabbit. All of those occurred after the patch was already available and were massively destructive. So, you know, people always ask me, I'm like, oh, what three things can I do to secure my systems? Number one is patching, right? It, it's the problem is it's really, really easy to say patch. And it's really, really easy to think that that's easy if you're a home user, right? If you're a home user, you should have automatic updates on for both your browser and your operating system. 
if you're a business, unfortunately, it gets a lot more complicated, right? Uh, a lot of systems and really probably a lot of the more valuable systems have incredibly complex codependencies that sometimes make it very difficult to update because they're just simply not compatible. And so th- this is the problem, right? Our users, instead of being able to just patch right away, are forced to run test cycles, right? And make sure that the applications still work. It makes sure that the patch is compatible with all the other pieces that have to be updated. And so that results in businesses taking longer and longer to patch. Now, if you combine this with what I was talking about earlier, the fact that, you know, difficulty to exploit aside, which Matt's completely right, there's just less of these bugs out there that are being found, period. Uh, You end up with a, a landscape where there's more attackers than ever before, There's fewer and fewer of these attacks out there. And so it's basically like a pack of hungry dogs jumping at a stake, right? That stake is not going to be around long. And I think as a result, we used to be able to have patch windows of six months, right? And now we're probably closer to 30 days before people are starting to find ways to exploit it. And I don't think that's going to decrease. I can't remember a period where six months would be a viable strategy. (laughs) Thrown out. Yeah, no, I know. You know, and <laughs> and I actually, what I'd love to, I mean, what I, one of the things I want to do, kind of one of the things that are on my list is to talk to customers more about what's interfering with patching. Uh, because we've, we've participated in, in um, conversations with customers who've been affected by WannaCry clones, like in the last couple of weeks. Right. And so that still, that that kind of simplistic piece of malware is still occasionally popping up in networks and becoming problematic. And it's just, if you, you know, not bet you caused by one account over a billion dollars worth of damage. And if there's ever a patch that you wanted to prioritize, this would have been the patch to prioritize. Um, so it's amazing that there's, there's still um, large segments where, where that patch has not been successfully deployed. And I, I want to, I'd love to kind of work to understand better what those reasons are. Yeah, maybe let's uh, let's set a hashtag. You know, if you guys would like to discuss this, uh, hashtag uh, what? BWT patches. Uh, I like patch peril. Fine. I think, I think we should just give Mitchell's number out and have the message <laughs> Mitchell's directly. <laughs> just connect well, with him on uh, Facebook. You know, I heard somebody make an argument recently, well, you could just patch desktops and, you know, you know, the servers, of course, you're going to have to take time to, um, you know, to test that stuff, but you can just patch desktops. And I, I disagree with that statement. Yeah, absolutely. As well. well, the same thing applies with the desktop situation, because if you, if you're running some kind of custom application, um, especially if it's not developed in house, right, then you know, you, you still have to go through a test cycle with those workstations to make sure that what you have is still going to function afterwards because you can't have thousands of employees all of a sudden unable to do their jobs because you've just patched the system. Well, and it's not even like small custom applications, right? Like right. I know that uh, uh, there is currently a update out to, uh, it's a, uh, OSX's High Sierra Beta 2 breaks AnyConnect. Right. So like any connect, is, right. I mean, how many, you know, 300 million users or whatever use any connect, right. like, you know, you upgrade hopefully, to beta two, you're done. Hopefully nobody's using a beta version of an operating system as their work operating system though. Right. Joel. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I did, I, so I will be honest with you. I used to do that and I got bit in the ass like uh, several times. And, and it, the funny part of it is, is it usually was any connect. Because of the hooks that it has into the kernel. And well, stuff you're right like in that. the kernel. So. Yeah. Hey, and, you know, I don't want this to sound like 
glass half empty, right? That's not to say that servers can't be secured, right? Absolutely, there are other things you can do, right? I mean, the easiest thing is to segment the network so that only the systems that need to talk to those servers can talk to those servers, right? You can use intrusion prevention systems like firepower, and you can layer other defenses like umbrella, right? There are ways to protect devices, but what you can't do is nothing, right? Those are the systems that are going to sit there unpatched and get exploited, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and doing nothing is kind of the putting your head in the sand and thinking it's not going to happen to me scenario, right? It's You have to be aware, you have to stay up with things, you have to be aware of when patches are coming out and what they're for and, and you know, what kind of impact they have and, and, and all that stuff at, at an absolute minimum, right? And then you we, have to well, keep on top of those things. We recently went through an exercise uh inside of Talos where we kind of went through and said, okay, let's, let's name our key assets as far as servers were concerned and write down the people that are responsible for those. And, and, and that's part of essentially, you know, network inventory or network management. Right. And, and we were kind of doing it for a different reason, but um, you know, network inventory and network management is, is is vital as well it's not just okay the systems that we know we have to patch like you have to know the systems that are there to begin with and this is something mm-hmm. that um is w- was fairly key to me at my my early part of my career here at sourcefire is i remember i went to a particular place and we were running uh, a piece of software we had at the time called rna or real-time network awareness and uh, now it's part of the firepower platform kind of built in and it just happens but th- at the time it was kind of a separate module called rna and I, I remember we turned on RNA and, you know, we found this one box and it was, run, you know, oh, well, you know, and, and RNA said, oh, this is running in T4, which is, this is back in 2005, roughly. Right. So here's two, th- you know, here's NT4 and they're like, oh, we don't have any NT4 boxes. And I'm like, look, you do. You know, and it's just, and, uh, you, and it's, you at least have something that looks like it's NT4. Yeah, you have something that at least looks like it's NT4. But, and the reason why I believed it purely was NT4 because they had stuff like XP Home on the network and stuff like that, right? So it's, they clearly had no sense of just network inventory, right? So we, we fired up RNA, we found this NT4 box. It was completely unpatched, it was completely hosed and been hacked for years, and they had no idea where it was. And this customer was, uh, you know, had a big warehouse and they found this box. It was a, you know, Dell workstation. It was tucked under a, a work, a, a literal, like, you know, workstation, a desk, um, back in the back of the warehouse. No one knew what it did other than, you know, it served up wares, but well, everybody uh, was too, too, don't yeah. tell me too scared to turn it off yeah. just in case it was so, vital. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of digressing from the main point, but it was just, it's interesting that, you know, we talk about patching, but you have to know what's there first to patch. And I mean, there's, no there's a make. couple of different points that we've kind of wandered around. One is um, you have to, you have to patch or take some mitigating action, uh, particularly when you get into the realm of something like MS-17010, where it's just like you're watching companies being just decimated by this malware that in part uses some of this you have to have a strategy for somehow to contain that and you know there's there's a lot of different ways for for this like disabling smbv1 segmentation with ips in between the segments there's a lot of different ways to do it but the other piece is like some of the from a security um 
professional's perspective, some of the most boring aspects of security are incredibly important here. Like Joel was talking, like inventory, patch management, you know, software distribution, like just, you know, network architecture, things that, that you may, are not as, you know, sexy as, you know, reverse engineering or the other stuff that maybe you're interested in. But those those boring pieces are what saves you when everything else falls apart. Saves your butt. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can you can stand up a hunting team all day inside your network, and that's great. But if you don't know what's on your network in the first place, hunting is not going to help you, unless you're hunting for the machines you don't know about. But I mean, it's uh, I mean, I guess my follow up that to Matt would be, you know, and to well to use Mitch's language, what's your what's your call to action there, Matt? What's it's what's your thinking about patching? There's a, there's a lot kind of going on. Like people kind of assume that once you patch, then you're. Uh, then, then everything's going to be okay because they disclosed and there was a patch. And and this this stemmed from, the, you know, I've got like a couple thousand words written into to the, the paper on this. And, and there's a lot of different examples. But like one of the, uh, like with, say, if you're talking about government disclosure vulnerabilities, um, if you want to judge, you know, if it was a bad decision to have not um, disclosed something, you don't judge um, what happened after the patch went out, you judge about what happened between the time that vulnerability was discovered by the government and the time that it was disclosed. Because during that period, only the government has that information. There's no mitigating circumstances for anyone. Um, and so I think, I think in some well, cases, that goes for not just for the government, but for industry and, as well. And that's true. I mean, and for everybody, like this is a thought, I mean, that's this, there's I actually, a lot of the discussions I had were with, private individuals who develop exploits and they have the same sort of thought process they have to go through. Um, and so if you're holding on to O'Day, you're making a, you're making a decision, you know, of the same sort that the government makes with its vulnerability equities process. You know, I'm, I'm choosing, I think it's more valuable for me to hold this than it is of value to the community to share. Uh, and, and that's a, you know, that's a, a decision that has to be made. Well, and that brings up an interesting point, Matt, and it's it's actually a great segue um, into the next topic we intended to talk about. There was a thread on Reddit where somebody was asking how they go about reporting a vulnerability. They had discovered a vulnerability in a, I believe, like a local government, uh, a, a particular software package that a local government was using. And the vendor wasn't listening. They couldn't get the government folks to understand what the vuln was. And he, this guy was kind of flummoxed. And how to how to how to submit that vuln. So before we can even patch, we have to have a, a disclosure. You know, before the disclosure, we have to have discovered a vulnerability and or an exploit behind it. When somebody does discover one of those vulnerabilities, and let's say they don't work for Talos or they're an independent researcher or you know even a hobbyist, you know, how do they go about reporting that vulnerability responsibly to affect the proper patch cycle before exploits can be seen in the wild? Well, they can actually. Um, contact us and we'll help them do it. That's what, you know, they want to do. You can contact us as the contact information on talusintelligence.com and we'll help you through that process. But also you can, you're also free to contact people like CERT, right, yourself and, and work that through. You know, if you're in a particular country, you can contract your country CERT if there is one and, and they have procedures, you know, that they can um, walk you through. So that uh, 
responsible disclosure can occur. Yeah, I think it's 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 you have to think about what your intent is. Um, so if you found this vulnerability, you may have stumbled onto it like Craig does, but you may have actually intended to go out <laughs> and find it. Um, and if you if you're doing that, if you're doing active vulnerability development, then you're having there's a purpose behind that. And so um, I actually uh, was. Uh, at a conference a couple of weeks ago in DC, a policy conference where Rapid Seven's uh, head of legislative affairs, uh, Harley, uh, was talking. And one of the questions that I asked was, you know, Cisco does vulnerability disclosure, and Cisco has enough lawyers that that were were okay in in almost any situation. Um, but if you're a an individual researcher out there, there are some there are some very powerful corporations that you're you're messing with. And and I hadn't actually thought about Nigel, them coming through um, like a cert or through Cisco or through some other vuln disclosure process and then leveraging the legal capability of those entities to protect themselves or to help protect themselves in what they're disclosing. And that's, you know, nobody here being a lawyer, but that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Right. So, Nigel, keep me honest here, but how often do we do see negative responses from vendors uh, after responsible disclosure these days? It seems like in the past it was really, really frequent, and I, I hope it's decreasing. Nigel fell asleep. <laughs> oh, he's not on. We've lost Nigel. Well, he's been off the list, but I've heard him after he dropped off the video. So let's let's skip Nigel. Yeah. So, you know, what do you guys think? So I, I think, and we've certainly seen, um, in, in both Craig, and we're not going to go into details, both Craig and I have had conversations with organizations that have handled this kind of notification very well. And some that have made decisions that we think that, you know, maybe there was another way for them to go. And this isn't, this is true. What, 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 what is kind of amazing to us is this is true, not just for, uh, disclosing vulnerability, but like if you disclose to them that they've been compromised, Sometimes you get a very negative response back when you're even, you're just trying to be helpful. Um, but in terms of vulnerability disclosure, I know that um, it's, it's important enough that I think Nigel specifically calls out on the podcast sometimes, this vendor was outstanding. And I think kind of the, the kind of the shadow of that compliment is that some vendors are not outstanding. And um, if you're a small software developer and you don't have a web page with a, phone disclosure process or a web page that describes patches um, and you're an individual researcher, then you're thinking about working with that kind of organization. You may want to give special thought to kind of bringing in a partnership because I think in, in the past, those are the guys that are least um, mature in their security response process on average. Um, and, and most likely to maybe cause you problems that you wouldn't get from a more, more mature um, organizations say like Microsoft, who has an established way of responding, or Cisco to to vulnerabilities. Yeah, I think the other point I'd like to make there is, you know, if you're looking for vulnerabilities and a piece of software, make sure that you do it responsibly. You know, don't go to the company's website and start looking for things like SQL injection because that's totally legal. Uh, you know, if you're trying to test a piece of software, limit yourself to that piece of software. Make sure that you're not connecting to their servers or doing anything weird. You know, if in doubt, you should ask somebody because there's a lot of ways to do this incorrectly. And get yourself in a lot of trouble for doing it. By the yeah, way, I mean, Craig's statement of totally legal was sarcasm. <laughs> I said illegal. He did not. He said we illegal. have the tape. 
No, you I didn't. did not. Sorry, <laughs> I'm <laughs> Craig, it's like you got up to a whole week uh, the, full of uh, shenanigans in Mexico and you haven't quite recovered yet. Uh, they maybe even do like a panel. It was, it was actually a really you good liked panel. The panel. Know, hey, what happened on that panel? I heard anyway. somebody had a special treat for you. Yes, it was very Uh-oh. nice train horning me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sitting there oh, talking. Wait, someone train horned you live? Omar, yeah. I'm so happy. I think the first one was Omar didn't define acronyms. And so like, you know, like the audience is a mix of technical and non-technical. And so they didn't know what uh, ICASI was. And so I, I stopped Omar and explained the acronym and I hear toot toot. And I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Yeah. Matt, well, I, I, I do have one one more point on uh, on reporting of vulnerability, and this is uh, one thing I saw brought up in, in a couple different discussions on this. Uh, it, what about for somebody who, again, same person, they're not connected to a, a research team. Um, they they might be able to go to Cert or Miter. They might you know find a team like Talus to partner with, but the other tempting option for them is to sell their vulnerability. What about that? I mean, there's groups out there that offer huge yeah, bug we've bounties. We've talked about several of them on the podcast. It's just, it's, uh, it, you have to be, I don't know, you have to be kind of careful with the, with the selling of the vulns and responsible disclosure. I mean, that's a, that's a fine line to walk, right? I'm not saying that you can't, I mean, by all means, whatever, but I'm just saying, and if you're going to, you have to choose if you're going to disclose, if you're going to responsibly disclose if you're just going to drop them if you're going to you know i mean we've had people write into us um uh directly and say hey i found a vulnerability on your website and you know are you going to pay me for it i'm like well why don't you tell me what it is before you you know start demanding payment and it's like you know i ran i ran a search and i got you know the results i wasn't expecting like that's not a vulnerability dude like you know so so let's let's go ahead and start to you know pack this one up for the week. Uh, I think we lost Nigel, so we've got to turn around and go back and find him someplace. Uh, so no, here, I got it. Uh, something something football. Uh. Well, because I know that I know the listeners are eager to hear what's going on. LFC has won their last two games, so Nigel's in a very good mood. No football in the Premier League this weekend, so he will be relaxed come Monday, and we can all probably survive next week until they play next week. So actually, next week was a good time to get together. No, next week we're all going to be, I know Mitch already said, we're all going to be in the same place. We're going to try and do a live recording, maybe. We'll see what we can put together. I think think we've got all kinds of stupid ideas for next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to wait for a couple weeks to find out. We do have the holidays coming up, so the next episode may be slightly delayed due to Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., In the meantime, remember to share this and our other episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the website, wherever you prefer to receive your podcast-like content. Uh, Send us a tweet and use the hashtag BWT. We have a couple hashtags in today's episode that you can use to start a discussion. You can also email us, beerswithtalos at cisco.com. Thanks for sticking around for another week, and we will see you on the next episode of Beers with Talos. Cheers.